Would you all stand, please, for the reading of God's word? And we'll be reading from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. And in your hearing, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes? from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's the conclusion of the matter. May we all be doers of the word and not just hearers only. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Brother Ray. Good day, Ipsy Free. Yeah. It's good to be with you. If you're online, we welcome you. We know that on a day like this, that may be more the case. Hey, did you know that we have choice? Did you know that we have choice? I was out of the country for the first time when I was 18 years old on a missions trip. Went to Mexico. And uh, in that journey, there's one thing that I realized when I walked back into the States that we have choice. Now, for some of us who are a little bit younger than my age, and I'm not going to point to other people, uh, we didn't have Amazon, right? You couldn't go online. So I remember walking into the grocery store, going to the Mercado in Mexico, and walking through and going, oh, there's just one kind of, you know, milk, right? There's one kind of whatever, cereal. Cereal was a huge thing. And I remember coming back and standing in front of the cereal aisle and just being overwhelmed. Do you ever do that now? Do you ever stand in front of the cereal aisle and go, Oh my goodness, what, what a selection. And it's not what kind you want, it's what kind and flavor you want. It is incredible, it's incredible. In fact, if my wife sends me to the grocery store, guys, maybe you're in with me on this, maybe it's flipped in your house, it doesn't matter. You need to know specifically what you're getting, what brand and everything, right? Otherwise, there'll be this flurry of text going back and forth because you know your cell phone doesn't necessarily work too well in a grocery store. So it's just incredible. But this is the, this is the point. 
Throughout the Bible and in Jesus' teaching for today, we will find there may be a multitude of choices, yet God only presents before people two choices on a regular basis. Two choices. Two ways. The way of life, salvation, and the kingdom. And then there's the way of death and curses and destruction. Specifically in the creation story, Genesis chapter 2, God has placed mankind in the garden. And after he does this and shows them everything, he says this, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. Two choices before Adam and Eve. We pray, we, he places them in the garden and he gives them choice. He gives them autonomy and we know what happened. They chose their own autonomy from God. Being deceived, yes, but they chose their own. They chose to eat from one tree that delivered death, destruction, and curses when they already had life, life eternal, and God solely. Our God, of, God is a God of love, and he never wants to leave us that way. He continues to pursue us. And what we find through the, the catalog of Scripture is that he begins to create this other alternative. And in Deuteronomy, he says this, Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess what God places before them is this desire that they would walk with him. He, he says, walk with me. He says, you, you journey on the path with me. And out of this love for him, he, out of this love for us, he establishes this nation. We see this at the beginning of Deuteronomy, but at the end, what we see that comes from Moses' mouth to the people of God is this. This day I call the heavens and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses makes it clear on behalf of God that there are two choices in life. While there are a multitude of other nations around them and a multitude of other religious opportunities to participate in, he says there's only two. There's two. There's either me, God, that has life and will give it to the abundance, or there's death. They have choice, and we have choice also. We have choice also. As we tackle the text for the day in the Sermon on the Mount, you will see that Jesus is consistent with this biblical theme of choice and that there are only two, that there are only two, the way of life and the way of death. We also see that Jesus does not fumble on, for his, on his words for his hearers then or even now. In fact, I would go so far to say, if you read it in the Greek, you'll understand that it's an imperative. It is a command. He, Jesus commands us to enter the narrow gate. 
This is similar to the attention we want to get of our children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews. Hey, stop! No! He wants to get our attention. He may not yell it like I just did, but that's what we would do if one of our children were running in front of a car, right? He wants us to understand that the narrow gate is the one to enter through. There really is no other option, yet choice is yours. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it, but, the small, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The choice, the choice of gate you will enter will determine your path and your way for the rest of your days. Uh, this is kind of the, the, the scenario set up. That if you enter through a certain gate, that there's a certain path that will soon follow after it. And that is what he's telling you. And that's what he's telling me. And he's telling anybody who will hear. The question is, how will you respond? How will you respond to Jesus? Will he be your Messiah? If so, your path is set before you. It is the narrow gate. And will you follow Jesus? Yet what we find in this, in this command of Jesus are these sets of twos. Two, two opposite gates that lead to two opposite ways and two opposite destinations and two opposite groups of people. Jesus is simplifying all, the, all of life's decisions down to two ways so that we can feel the weight of every single decision that we make, bearing whether it's life or death, curses or blessings, destruction or life. Let's take a look at those, these contrasts of choice in the text. Let's take a look at them. They are narrow and wide. Broad and hard, destruction in life, and many and few. Let's just walk through these as part of the text today. Can you, can you imagine in this next picture being able to drive your car down the wide path? That, that anything goes down that wide path. Nobody's going to stop you, per se. They're probably going to just step off. They have enough room. They're going to step off and do their own thing. There's nothing they have to shed to go on this wide way of life. Nothing that they would want to do before they entered the gate, but Broadway, would they ever have to get rid of? It's there. They can do whatever they want. They can have a dance party. Yeah? There's no lines. I mean, it's just open. But look at the narrow gate. As you look at it, you can, almost, you can almost see that you'd have to get rid of. You're carrying bags. You're, you're going to have to get rid of the bags. You're definitely not going to drive your car through. You got a nice Mercedes. Yeah, it's out, right? It's gone. Dallas Willard says this about the wide gate. The broad gate is simply doing whatever I want to do when I want to do it. We spoke about this last week, and we speak about it often because it's part of our culture. You just You, you do you. It's good. It's all right. Don't be hemmed in. But Jesus makes it clear that the narrow way is hard to find. In fact, many of us have missed 
the door of opportunity because we've been paying attention to the broad issues of life. The narrow ways. You have to look for it, he's indicating. It's not seen if you're not looking. It almost seems as if there needs to be a desire for this, this narrow gate to pass through. And as I said, to pass through the narrow gate, you have to leave something behind. If you're not going to be able to get through it. Have you ever been on the metro, like around D.C. or in other places, the turnstiles? I, I have this, mo- this image in my mind. It's kind of like that. And I do not go through it forward. I have to actually turn sideways. I, one, I don't like to get all bruised up, just one side of me, right? And to push myself through the turnstile, I... Imagine it's similar to that. Hmm. This is what Dale Bruner says about the narrow gate. The life of discipleship, following Jesus, is what we say around here, passes day by day through the narrow gate of decision to make Jesus one sole Lord and so to walk the decidedly uneasy road of obeying commands. I can, I can imagine the narrow path. If you've ever been hiking, sometimes, sometimes it's broad, but all of a sudden it disappears and the grass moves in over the top of it and you can't see it. It's hard to find and it's an uneasy road. Let's talk about broad and hard. In the New International Version, the one that I'm referring to, the word broad would be synonymous in other versions of the Bible, specifically the English Standard Version or something like that, where they use the word easy. Broad is easy. There's nothing you have to do except to be the captain of your own ship in this, in being the broad. But on a narrow road, it's hard to walk on. You've ever traversed up a, of a trail up the side of a mountain? It's hard. It's challenging. A few years ago, maybe a few, few more than what we'd like to think, Kathy and I were walking on a path in the Grand Canyon. Not Bright Angel, which is wide and broad, but we were told by friends to take the uh, Kaibab Trail, on, which is kind of off the beaten path. Uh, they take mules down it, but it's really quite narrow. And I, we got down a little too far, um, and it's, it, it's swinging back and forth, and you can look down over the edge. It's really quite uh, spectacular if you're not dizzy because you don't have enough water, right? But then we were walking our way back up, and it's hard enough when people pass, but then you have an animal. A mountain goat was in our path. Now, I, I know about goats on a farm, but I don't, know about mount, I don't know about goats in the wild. What are they going to do to you? And this is pretty docile, which I was very grateful. But a narrow path is hard. Things that get, may get in the way, it makes it hard to walk. In contrast, wide paths are super easy. You go roll, walking at rolling hills and the, the paths are wide, right? You don't have to think about where you're putting your foot. But a narrow path, you have to think about that. You don't have to alter your way of living or thinking or being in the wide path of life. 
can I do this? Will this be fair? Broad is the way in Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor, if you were to take the culture. Broad is the way. Anything goes. Anything goes. We may not like the idea that following Jesus is hard, yet Jesus himself said it would not be easy. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Following Jesus is hard, and he makes it clear in two sentences. Clearly, broad and easy are the things that, broad broad things are rarely good, and hard things are. Think about that. When it's easy to do, there's no satisfaction to it. But when there's something that's hard, like parenting or marriage or loyalty and fidelity to a group of friends, it's hard. Walking with Jesus is a hard life, yet it is worth every minute. It leads us to life, joy, hope, eternity. Destruction and life. Epilea is the word for destruction. It's exactly what it means. It, it's things are destroyed, but it's kind of this type of destruction. It's when something is not used or applied for its intended use. You ever use a screwdriver where you needed a hammer and you just destroyed it or vice versa? It's that idea that there's, there's this intention of who we are as people to live in life and vibrancy and eternity. He made us and designed us and desires us to be that way. But destruction is just the opposite. When we choose the broad, choose our own way of doing things. When Jesus talks of life, what he's talking about is, in, especially in Matthew, is, is synonymous with the kingdom and salvation. It's that, it's that I, idea that we are part of something grand and something big. We know what he has wished for. He wants us to live into the kingdom. Well, broad, broad is the way that looks enticing, yet it's deceptive when it's covering destruction. Both of these terms... Of, dest- of destruction and life, destruction and life have this idea, and both of you know, all of you may know this. It's a now and not yet. So are we fully destroyed? I mean, think Adam and Eve. They were gonna, they were gonna die, right? Well, they ate of the fruit, and they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. But eventually, they died. Right? Same with life. We have this idea, this opportunity to live life to the full that we can, we can be with and in Jesus and he can fulfill our internal desires and drives that he has placed within us. Jesus taught that the easy way entered to the wide, uh, easy way it entered to the wide gate leads to destruction. Yet he did not define destruction, what he meant by this totally. But what we know is it's not life. It's not life. There's not truth and joy and peace. And that we'll have forever. 
The kingdom of God has this now and later. Jesus stated that those who believe in me have eternal life. We are invited to enter the narrow gate and experience the life with Jesus. What about the many and few? Uh, One, I don't think that it's specifically saying in this place that there will be few people entering the kingdom of God. The same word used, there's the same word many is used later in Matthew when he said that many will come from the east and west into the kingdom. Jesus said that, Jesus also stated the Son of Man came came to give his life for a ransom for many. Jesus is the one who invites us the least likely, though, into the kingdom, those he advocates for that are in the margins, those who are the poor, those who are hungry. And Jesus is the same one who sends his disciples to every nation. The heart of God is of one who desires that none would perish and that he would allow all to enter life, who would enter through the narrow gate. But what he is saying is that if you choose to follow, there, won't be not, there will not be many on the path. He, the door is open to all, but the path, on the path, there will not be many. It'll be truly a minority of followers who truly desire to seek and see his kingdom come and to have solely follow him only. Jesus' words of exhortation to enter through the narrow gate is to get our attention Just as I said, as a parent with a toddler, hey, don't go the wide way. There's danger up ahead. Your life and my love for you are too great for you not to make a wide-eyed choice. But Jesus continues with other warnings in this scripture, not just the wide and narrow, but he says this, watch out for false prophets. This term, false prophets, is used six different times in Matthew. False prophets are this, he, he issues this warning in this passage, but we know and find that false prophets are found throughout Scripture. Take a look at Jeremiah 14, 14. He says this, Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them, They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and delusions of their own minds. He's saying, whoa, warning. Look. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And again, in 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. His point to us in this place is warning, warning, hey, false prophets are out there. And while you're on the narrow way of following Jesus, you must be aware and watchful. One of the best ways we can be aware and watchful of false prophets is to read, listen, and dwell in the word of God itself. It's one of the ways. 
Practicing the way of Jesus is, is to be in the word of God, to be immersed in it, to allow it to inform us of the truth around us, not to allow the world to inform us or even our own ideas. So if you have been putting up excuses for not getting into the word of God on a regular, on a daily basis, can I just tell you, if you desire to be a follower of Jesus, that excuse is only hurting you and is placing you at a disadvantage to be able to walk the narrow path. But what is a prophet? Well, in essence, it's someone who guides the way of the Lord. It's someone who speaks of the way and guides somebody in the way, right? Sometimes it's a specific word as we're learning through live stream on Sunday evenings to people and situations. But much of the time, it is living into the pages and the reality of the kingdom we find in the, in the, in the Bible itself. So in this day, while in days past, it may have just been a prophet, literally a prophet, in these days... It could be a pastor, a writer, a, blogcast, a blogger, a podcaster, a teacher. There are multiple people that become prophets, guides in the way of the Lord. And Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets. Watch out for false prophets, he says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly there are ferocious wolves. Wolves in sheep clothing. We get this idiom. It's not one that's lost on us. In fact, we continue to use it even to this day, right? We understand that that means that there's somebody that's in the mix who is not really a true follower, right? They blend into the surroundings. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that you cannot take a prophet on face value. And boy, do I understand the irony of a prophet saying this about prophets. Do you understand what I'm saying? But you must test them and see whether they're true and right according to the word of God. Jesus gives us three different tests in this scripture passage. And we're going to walk through each one of them briefly. The first one is the fruit test. The fruit test. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but, bad, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. I wonder if one of our children's books writers wrote this. I'm serious. Dr. Seuss, were you there? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Simply saying that if an apple tree is an apple tree, it's going to have apples on it. If a, a grapevine is growing, then it's going to have grapes on it. There's an organic element that's taking place here. You can know them. I like how Eugene Peterson puts this in the message translation, which may um, sink a little bit deeper. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off in some other way, some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preach it, who... 
who preacher who preachers are is our the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. So how do we know them? How do we know how a prophet is? Let's put a, th- a few things out there. How they act and are off stage. How are they in their marriage? Are they married? How does he or she carry themselves in their sexuality? When, you, when they're at home, are they angry? How do they wield the power that has been granted to them? Are they humble? Does the prophet carry themselves in the community and do they even live in the community? When the prophet is under authority, does he come under or she come under authority to those who are speaking into them? In 1 Timothy 3, it says that an overseer should be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle, not coarse, but a lover, not a lover of money, but he must manage his own family well. You see, Scripture gives us the litmus test to be able to find out whether a prophet is bearing fruit. Jesus is making it clear that discipleship means a great deal more than just religious activity. It has to have productivity. It comes out of them. Test number two, the teaching test. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In the message again, Eugene Peterson does well by us here. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. It's specifically that. Do they follow the Lord's will? Do, are they living it out and are they teaching it well? I think this is, this is one, this question I came across in some study I had is good and it's right. Is this person's teaching moving me to obey Jesus? Is this person's teaching moving me to obey Jesus as we read in Scripture? So the teaching test. And number three, the relationship test. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Now this is an incredible test because they have practiced and, if you will, performed all that they have said that they've done in the name of God. Yet there's a word in verse 23 that just leaps off the page to us, or words, if you will. I never knew you. It's that word gnosko. It's that God's saying, "I, I, I don't know who you are. 
Throughout scripture, this idea of Adam and Eve knowing each other was this intimate and uh, involved relationship that God knew and knew Moses, right? But this word gnosko, he's saying, I don't know who you are. You've done all of this stuff, but I don't know who you are. And what day is he talking about? That day is when judgment day, that, that day when the world's, this world's life will come to an end and their life will come to an account before God. But the question on this one, while you may, we may be able to test on the other ones by observation and conversation and other things, let me ask a question. Can you test on the relationship test? What do you think? No, you can't. Think about what was said. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? He doesn't deny that they did all those things. All he says is, I don't know you. Away from me, you evildoers. We can't. Yet, I would say that we have inklings. We have internal things that go off that tell us whether somebody is sincere to their Lord, maybe. But what do we do with all this? We're to enter through the narrow gate and we're to watch out for false prophets. Well, first and foremost, it's really simple. Jesus invites you and I to enter the narrow gate. He invites you and I to enter the narrow gate. And I would suspect that that's not a one-time occurrence. In fact, Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It is a daily choice that we have to follow Jesus into the narrow gate. And may I remind you that the gate that is narrow is hard. I've had multiple conversations this week where followers of Jesus are attempting to try to reconcile the tension they're feeling between what is happening now and what they hope to have happen. That's called tension. And we manage as followers of Jesus this tension like Jesus managed the tension as he went to the cross. He knew what what was before him And yet he still went forward, obediently following his father. We understand that the narrow way is the one of life. It's the one that redeems and restores, liberates and frees, gives hope and grace and mercy. And yes, friends, that there will be few in the path with us, those of us who choose. That there won't be a littered crowd. That it won't be with a lot of people. Yet, it drives us to seek those who desire to enter into the narrow gate. So friends, today, can I ask you? If you're a follower of Jesus, have you decidedly said, I am entering the narrow gate. I realize that it's, a hard one, it's not one that's cast in fear, it's cast around love. 
that I live in freedom. Have you entered the narrow gate today? Friends, if you have never entered the narrow gate to decidedly follow Jesus, today is your day. But if you're on the narrow way and you're following Jesus, what does he say about these false prophets? I think he calls us to be watchful. I know that there are some that would like to, like to you know, create a, a club that tries to figure out who those people are and, and, you know, and put them out there as false prophets. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, beware. He's calling us to be a watchful people for those who might distract us from the narrow way. I see it here a little bit in Mark chapter 14, verse 28, when he tells his own disciples when he goes off to pray, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's, he's imploring them, hey, we're on the precipice, watch and pray. And so must we as we live our life. Be watchful for those ideologies, those thoughts of it's either, it's either red or blue. It can't be in the middle. When Jesus lived in the middle all his life, it is a tension I believe that many of us are called to live, if not all of us who are following Jesus. But we're to be watchful people. When we enter through the narrow gate, we follow Jesus, and it's not easy. What if we were the truth tellers in our world? Not about what we believe about government, what we believe about cultural issues of our day, but truth tellers of the word of God. What if we brought it to bear in our conversations that our God loves us and loves everyone and desires to see none lost and he draws us to a place where we see one another as one in Christ what would happen to our world? We found our grounding and dwelling in the word of God in our relationship with Jesus. Choose the narrow way. Be watchful, my friends. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you remind us in these days that sometimes we would just like to say, can't it just be easier? Why, why, is, the, why is the journey so, so tough? And he says, oh, oh, I know. I know it's tough. But the narrow way is the way of life. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of salvation. Father, why are there so many false prophets? Why are there people trying to distract me from giving my full attention and affection to you. Because the evil one's on the prowl. He wishes to devour, kill, and steal any who would be distracted for a moment. So Father, I ask. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be remembered for many of us, we know that the, the narrow gate 
is the hard way, but it's the hard way to life. And that, Father, we would gather with few of our fellow travelers and continue to encourage one another along. Lord, would you lead us into that path? And while we're gathered with our friends, whether it's in a small group or in a triad or even here at church, that, Father, we'll be encouraged to keep our eyes in the Word of God. So we'll be watchful. Beware of wolves in sheep clothing around us who wish to distract us, to wish to pull us away from being sons and daughters of the Most High God. Friends, if you have traveled off the narrow path, today make a decision. Make a recommitment. If you have followed a distraction, an ideology, a false prophet, today is your day to rededicate your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm, I repent. I confess and repent. I've been going my own way. And it has been easy, but I realize it's not a life of life, but of death and destruction and curses. Just offer that prayer up to him right now. If you have never committed your life to Jesus, whether you're online or in person this morning, you can pray this prayer that comes from your heart to God's heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.